Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Bill Higgs about the importance of keeping a people focus during a downturn. Bill Higgs, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jonathan. Yeah, I'm excited to have a really fun conversation that hopefully I think will be particularly timely for everyone who's listening. As everyone knows, we're we're recording this in the middle of a pandemic. We're uh, recording this in the middle of kind of a a wide scale, you know, wide level of uh, geopolitical, socioeconomic strife and, and and challenges not only in the U.S. but across the globe, and and so I think um, you know focusing on how to help organizations be successful amidst this kind of a climate uh, will be helpful to listeners, and that's what we're going to focus on today: the importance of keeping a people focus during downturn. And obviously, that doesn't um, mean just during a pandemic, uh, but I think we're right now in the heart of you know, really challenging times and organizational leaders are struggling to try to figure out how they can best manage and navigate this situation. Uh, As we get started, I just wanted to share Bill's bio with everybody. Bill Higgs, an authority on corporate culture, is the Forbes Books author of Culture Code Champion, Seven Steps to Scale and Succeed in Your Business. He trains companies on how to improve their bottom line by improving their culture and recently launched the Culture Code Champions podcast, where he has interviewed such notable subjects as former CIA director uh, David Petraeus and NASA's woman pioneer Sandra Coleman. Culture Code Champions is listed as a new and noteworthy podcast on iTunes. Higgs is also the co-founder and former CEO of Mustang Engineering, Inc. In 20 years, uh, they they grew the company from their initial 15,000 investment and three people to a billion-dollar company with 6,500 people worldwide. Second, third, and fourth generation leaders took the company to $2 billion in 2014. Higgs is a distinguished 1974 graduate, top 5% academically, from the United States Military Academy at West Point, and a runner-up for the Rhodes Scholarship. He's an Airborne Ranger and former commander of Combat Engineer Company. Um, what a, a fascinating background and, and life's work and experience that you have, and I, I look forward to having a really great conversation with you today. Uh, any uh, anything else you would like to add by way of background, uh, professional or or personal, uh, and context to to frame and shape the discussion today? Well, you you covered a lot of the different things that I've done. Uh, the other thing, when I got out of the army in 1980, uh, I had stage four cancer, but luckily I was in Houston and went on experimental drugs for a year and survived the stage four cancer. But uh, 
part of that, I think, is always having a very positive, uplifting attitude, and I never really let it get me down. And I think that's part of a leadership thing when we start talking about culture and taking care of people, is what's that leader's attitude when you're in situations like everybody's experiencing right now. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, and I'm 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 happy to hear about uh, how you were able to beat the cancer. Um, what a, what a horrific uh, health challenge to try to deal with, and uh, and I'm I'm glad that that was successful for you. And um, I think you just said it well. You know, as we're thinking about positive organizational cultures, we often think about people centric cultures. We think about valuing your people. Um, but we also have to balance that with, you know, the realities that the organization's facing. So, for example, right now amidst the pandemic, a lot of, you know, there's there's um, record unemployment rate in the United States. Lots of companies uh, have had to shutter and, and close down. Um, lots of organizations are trying to figure out how do we just survive, right? So amidst right. that climate, amidst that kind of uh, downturn, fiscal uh, economic downturn for an organization. How can we um, focus, continue to focus on people and culture amidst that kind of um, fiscal challenge? And what are some other ways that we can approach cuts and in, in cutting expenses other than just laying people off and, and uh, taking that kind of an approach? Well, we went through a number of downturns because my engineering firm was in Houston, so in the oil patch. And so we would go up and down with the oil price. So there was a downturn every three years. Sometimes it happened overnight. Sometimes you could see it coming. But what we found is, yeah, the first places you cut for big costs is you cut labor and you try and cut office square footage because those are the big numbers that you can affect right away. But the thing that we found in downturns is the first thing that disappears is all the silos in companies because all of a sudden you're all in the soup together. I mean, you've let 30% of your people go. The people that are left are wondering if they're the next to go or if the company's going to survive or do they need to be looking for a job. But what happens and what you're seeing right now is I think you have the best communication ever between leaders and the people that are there. They know about their families, they know where they live, they know about their kids. Uh, there's a lot of good communication going on which breaks the silos and allows you to get better. And what I like to try and get people to do is work on their repetitive system that's gonna differentiate them from their competitors. So that when we built our company, and this is what I swear, after 20 years and hitting a billion dollars in revenues, which we never expected, uh, we built that company on squeezing handoffs everywhere within the company with our vendors and suppliers and with our clients. And what we found is there's 30% schedule and 30% dollar savings available in good handoffs between people. So in the downturn, while you're working this communication every day, just start looking at handoffs and say, how can we do these handoffs better streamline them? and then document it to where we can do that when we come out of the downturn. So what we did is we focused on that in the downturns, took notes on everything that we had eliminated, to, we call it plugging holes in the bucket so the money didn't run out. You plug all those holes and take notes on it, 
And then in the good times, we would review that every quarter to make sure we weren't going back to our old ways. In this case, going back to pre-COVID. If a company goes back to pre-COVID, they've lost a great opportunity to change how their people work, how they communicate, their bottom line. So many things that they're learning right now, if they'll document it and then review it. And if you can stay lean in the good times, there's gonna be something else in a year, in two years, whatever, that's gonna hammer whatever organization you're in. But if you can stay lean going into it, you won't go down as far and won't be as hard to take for your people. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, right now we're in unprecedented times. 2020 has been quite the year, you know, in terms <laughs> of throwing things at us. And so um, while this may not be kind of the typical downturn that most organizations will expect, every organization can and should expect that there will be regular downturns, right? right? There will be various crises that arise and we need to be able to respond to them. We're, I mean, the bottom line is we're in a hyper-competitive, increasingly interconnected global marketplace where with increasing, you know, uh, levels of consumer demand around differentiation and like specialty items and stuff. I mean, we just have to be able to pivot quickly. We need to be able to adapt um, to meet consumer demand. And so uh, organizations uh, will constantly be, be dealing with these sorts of challenges. And we're just kind of in a unique one right now, but there will oh. be others. And so to your point, you know, this, this is challenging for sure, but it's a, it's a huge opportunity for organizations to really take a step back, to look at their processes, their systems, to um, question and challenge everything that maybe they took just took for granted. As, you know, they've always done it that way. It's just the status quo that, that, that that's just the way we do it. Well, now everyone is being forced to question those things and realize that, hey, there's actually probably a lot of other ways that we can cut costs without necessarily cutting people, without the labor um, cost element that you were talking about, uh, and, and run lean, run agile, and, uh, and that will certainly benefit those companies that are able to adapt now if they can maintain that in the future. Um, One of the things that, that we found in downturns, and this might surprise you, but we actually high-graded our people during downturns. Because what you'll find is some really, really good people become available. And some of it's because they didn't like the way their leadership team handled going into the downturn. And so they don't want to be part of that organization anymore. And we were actually able to pick up some just rock people in downturns that never should have come available. But it was because of the way their company treated people going into a downturn or during the downturn. And so we could actually high grade and come out with a better team coming out of the downturn. As long as you're open to hiring and switching out some people, you need to be, I always say hiring at all times, looking for those good people, even in a downturn. And it may sound hard, but the leadership needs to be doing that. Yeah. Well, I love that perspective. And, and that's such a, a forward thinking long-term and sustainability type of perspective. Um, so, so many leaders, when they find themselves in times of crisis, their, their reaction is 
to respond in terms of crisis, right? They're in crisis mode. So they're trying batten to- down the hatches. Yeah. Batten down the hatches, stop the bleeding, you know, whatever mm-hmm. metaphor or allegory that, you know, that we, symbolism that we might try to throw on it. Ultimately, you know, they're, they're trying to, to respond in that way. What you're suggesting is that in fact, we flip the script, that in fact, instead of seeing this as like a major pain point, you know, we have all these labor costs, that yeah, all of a sudden, like for example, in the U.S., you know, at our peak, I think we we had about forty million in unemployment uh, increase, uh, mm-hmm. unemployed individuals in the United States because of COVID. That's gone down a bit, but but basically, to your point, there are tons of people. It's a saturated labor market. There's tons of people available that weren't available six months ago, and and if we can be forward thinking, uh, then that gives us all sorts of opportunity in terms of our human capital within the organization. Uh, and so we don't need to look at it from a scarcity mindset. We can look at it from an asset-based uh, mindset and recognize that, wow, this what better time to, uh, to right-size our team and to make sure that we have the right people uh, in the right positions with the best possible talent available. I mean, it's a tremendous opportunity. And you use the right word, opportunity. It's like that opportunity is there because the game board's been shook up and everybody's bouncing around. And it's your opportunity to go pluck some of those good talents and bring them into your organization. And while everybody's in the soup together, your people that are there are going to embrace them. They know it's good talent coming in and it's going to help them coming out. So there's a lot of positive there. We use the term, we call it Operation Horse Thief. We were Mustang engineering like a horse. Uh, Operation Horse Thief is we would ask our people especially at like our new hire breakfast when we bring people in, we'd say, who are the five best people that you know, whether they're in this industry or you know them from church or some other organization, those people would have our DNA. And so we would put those people on our horse thief list and those were who we would target. And that allowed us to grow with people who worked at a certain level and a, a good communication level and we're other oriented to try and what we call make heroes of each other within the organization and then try to make heroes of the suppliers and the clients. But in order to grow with those type of people, we had everyone in our organization thinking Operation Horse Thief every day because we made it a fun saying, say, what are you doing in Operation Horse Thief today? Who do you know? What's happening out there? And in downturns, uh, people would come in excited and say, this person I never thought would come available. You got to meet this person. And they'd be excited, even though it's in a downturn and everything's tough. So it is opportunity. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. And really just fostering the mindset amongst our people, amongst our team, that we should always be looking for, for the best talent. Um, that, that says a lot about the organization and the culture that you have. And it speaks to the desire to continually push the envelope, to innovate, um, to create, you know, for the customer so that the organization can be successful. And that's exciting for your team, right? Everyone everyone wants to work with the best people. Yeah, another aspect of that is you can have HR identifying people and you have three or four people looking, or you could have your department managers looking, you got eight or 12 people looking. But when I was at 200 people, I had 200 people looking for the next Mustanger. And this, I tell your, tell your people, name yourselves. We were called Mustangers. 
and it became part of the team building. Hey, we're Mustangers, we're better than everybody else. We're looking for more Mustangers. But when I was at 500 people, I had 500 people looking for the next Mustanger. Imagine the quality and potential people that we got to sort through with that methodology. So it's just another way to engage your team top to bottom to where they know they're helping the company get stronger. Yeah, yeah, and you, and you, you uh, leverage your people in a greater way and you create more buy-in, right? So they, yes. they feel more commitment, more loyalty, more passion for the organization because they see themselves as part, as part of building the organization. Even if they're at the lowest level within the hierarchy, they see themselves in the growth and development of the organization. Uh, so I love that. So, so flipping the script, thinking about it in terms of opportunity, thinking about um, kind of an asset-based approach as opposed to a deficit-based approach, I think all of that's super great. Uh, mm -hmm. The reality is though, in downturn, sometimes we do still have to cut. Um, it's just a fiscal reality. So how do we manage that and make sure we don't cut too deeply and particularly in key areas that might actually, so we might be able to survive in the short term, but if we cut too deeply, that can have serious implications for long-term viability and sustainability of the organization once we come out of the downturn. Uh, thoughts on that? Actually, whenever a downturn hit, I cut deeper than I thought we needed to. It's like it's ripped the Band-Aid off. <laughs> Don't just do death by 1,200 slices. Just hammer it, hit it hard, and get a little bit leaner than you think you're going to need to. Sometimes I wasn't lean enough, <laughs> but it always helped to get down there. And, and what I found is what'll happen if you cut too deep now some people are going to be overloaded and this may sound a little weird but i always tried to keep my people 15 percent overloaded even in the good times because what i found is if people are overloaded they're going to look for more efficient ways to get things done they're going to look at i'm going to go communicate with this person or they don't give me garbage that i've got to fix I want it to come to me where I can just do it and move it on to the next person. So I think getting a little bit overloaded, if you cut too deep, it's not that big of a negative. You have to be sensitive and see when somebody's starting to crater and you're just dragging and it's too many hours and you figure out how you can support them or split part of their job to somebody else. And we found in some cases, we actually changed job descriptions and split jobs and it actually ended up in a better place when we came out of the downturn. So I actually am more into cutting a little bit deeper early. Uh, my son's company, he does aftermarket bumpers for pickup trucks and Jeeps. So you can imagine when the economy tanked, that's fun money. So his orders dried up. Uh, he sells to warehouse distributors. So they just were selling inventory, not buying anything from him thought he was going out of business. He's now at record profits, record backlog, because it turned out people have time on their hands and they didn't take a vacation, so they're fixing their pickup truck. But you don't know how it's gonna happen, so I coached him to cut deeper, which he did, but he did it with good 
emotional content. I mean, it hurt to drop these people because they had trained them in how to run lasers and grind and weld. But all of the people that he wanted to come back as the V started going up the other side, they were all ready to come back when he wanted them. So it's how you do it. And it's allowed him then to high grade because there were also some great talent came available in his industry. So in some cases, he didn't bring some people back because he could high grade. And so he essentially did everything that I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like you said, as long as we're sensitive to the potential of burnout, right? We, we don't want to overload people to the point where we're exploiting them and, they, and they're, um, we're not being sensitive to the, the challenges that they may be having in their own life, you know, that could be ultimately hurt them long-term, but also the organization. You know, as long as we balance that and we can be agile in, a, in responding to the, uh, the, the people needs, um, the human capital needs within the organization, then I think that can absolutely work. And it, I think we also just need to make sure that we are always thinking long-term. One of the, the biggest um, challenges to dealing with downturn is, is the fear, the anxiety that people feel, right? Mm -hmm. um, because you're worried about, you know, are we gonna survive this? Are we gonna go out of business? And so sometimes our response, our reaction to that is an emotional one. It's, it's, a, it's, it's one that emerges out of crisis as opposed to trying to think strategically, think long-term, think sustainability. And you know, how can we leverage this as an opportunity for future growth? If, if we can shift our mindset and approach it in that uh, way, then you know, that, that, will, that will inform a lot of the little decisions that we make along the way um, during the downturn and during the crisis time. And ultimately we're gonna be better off for it uh, once, like you said, once we start to come out of it and we have that V upward trajectory. Well, that's where the leader has to be talking with the people and be saying, this is what's happening and this is what we're going to do. And so be talking positively, be taking action, build people up. You might only get them back to neutral, but don't help spiral them down. We had a saying, what we were trying to do is we called it no fate leadership. And because there were downturns every so often in our industry and hurricanes coming through Houston and various things, we call it no fate leadership. When there was a downturn, we felt there was no fate that just because our industry's going down, we don't have to go down. So how do we implement no fate leadership? We work to diversify. We work to have the best talent. We work to stay lean. And these are all components of no fate leadership. And we got our people top to bottom to understand because they've been through all these downturns. They've been laid off two or three times. They knew what it did to their family when they were laid off for three months and then got another job and eight months later were laid off for six weeks. And so they could understand what we were trying to do and be on board with helping us set up for that no fit leadership going forward. But it's like, as a leader, don't feel like you're alone. Engage all your people and let them know how you're thinking and what you're trying to do to change the current situation because now their brains are gonna turn on and they're gonna do their little piece that they can do. If you try to do it all yourself, then they're just gonna feel like mushrooms down there in the dark, having no idea what's going on. They're just gonna be scared. 
they're going to drag out their work and not get it done because if they get it done, they figure they're going to get laid off. So what one of my no fate leadership things is what I call job on the corner of the desk. I would go to everybody and put a job on the corner of their desk and I'd say, hurry up and finish what you're doing so you can get on this job. But if you want to have a good culture and good people, they're not going to throw themselves into it if they're scared about having job security. They're going to be phoning and finding out where other job opportunities are to take care of their family, their mortgage, and everything else. So as a leader, if you can take that anxiety away and say, here's the jobs that are coming up, work on finishing that, now they can throw themselves into buying this culture and this people-orientedness that you have. For us, it was really tough because the industry treated people like numbers. And so it took us years to get them saying, okay, this company is different. They're putting their money where their mouth is. They're taking care of us through three downturns now. And so when new people would come in, they would say, hey, this company can do it. Listen to what they're saying, get on board. But the leadership has to be pulling it and engaging everyone. Absolutely. Uh, particularly in times of downturn and crisis, we need to be more transparent. We need to communicate more openly. We need to to involve. And you and you see the more. opposite. And normally you see the opposite of that. And that's Absolutely. just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is crazy. Um, and and I understand it. It's kind of a natural human nature response to crisis, right? Um, but it's, it's absolutely the opposite of what needs to happen. We need to, we, and rather than closing down, you know, retreat, you know, you think turtle, like retreating back into the shell, rather than that, you need to open up. You need to be more transparent, communicate more, involve more people. Um, that's, that's the, uh, the way forward to help you navigate the crisis. And yet, you know, it, it's, that's kind of contrary to most people's, you know, base reaction to those types of situations. So we need to, to practice some self-talk, perhaps we need to make sure as leaders that we are challenging that tendency to make so that we can make sure that we're responding in a more uh, constructive way. Well, one of, one of the things that we did, and I think people can really do it now what, with this remote office situation, is we we tried to win the hearts and the minds of our people big time <laughs> to where they knew they were on the best team, the team everybody wanted to join. But we also wanted to win the hearts and the minds of their family. And so now you can do it over Zoom. You can have activities where the kids and the spouse gets involved. We used to have activities like skating parties and things. And we would give toys to the kids that had our Mustang horse logo on there and had some saying like making heroes or whatever. And we would take our like hard copy communications, what I call that. When you start giving hats and things to your people and to their families, they know that in 90% of companies, all that stuff goes to clients. So subliminally, when they're getting it from their company, they're going, oh, this company thinks I'm, I'm as important to them as the clients are. And you're starting to win the hearts and the minds. We would send our newsletter hard copy home and you'd be amazed, the spouse will read it, they'll show pictures to the kids. Once we got the hearts and the minds of the family supporting the employee, then if they got a little bit overloaded or they had to work late night or they had to work a weekend, the family was behind him and understood and said, man, they are enjoying this company. 
uh, they're a better person since they've been there and they've got a good support network for when they get a little bit overloaded to help them get through it. So like when you're saying the transparency, it needs to go not just to the employee, but if you can engage that family, now you're building a broader network and your culture is permeating a lot further. And so then that rolled into us giving back to the communities, you know, having work days where the whole family came to work on a house or something like that. And you just started building a totally different attitude. I remember some years after we had started, they took me into a room and there were over 100 children of Mustangers that when they graduated high school or college, that's where they came to work. And I asked one of them, why'd you do that? I said, well, my toy box was full of Mustang stuff growing up. My parent had changed and became a much better father or mother since they were there. And I knew that's where I wanted to go. And it just sends chills up and down your spine because we not only had the best bottom line in the industry, but we were changing lives in the community. And to me, that's a better calling for a company is if you can change lives and better lives, it all comes back around, helps the company, helps your clients, helps your vendors. But it's, it's getting that bigger picture. It takes a lot of nudges on the flywheel to get there. But if you can get all thousand people pushing it and making it happen, it ended up, it, it, it wasn't me pushing it once we got past 10 people. I had 10 people pushing it. Yeah, that is, that is so amazing. Uh, what a, an accomplishment in terms of culture permeating, not just the, the employees, but the families and the broader community. And you said something that's really key. And that is, you know, this is not a mutually exclusive type of idea. Like you either look towards the bottom line or you focus on your people and your community. <laughs> they, they go hand in hand. And when you focus on people and their families and the community and you strengthen all of that, then you build loyalty, you, you build um, commitment, you, build, you, you get higher levels of performance out of people and it drives the company's success and it helps the bottom line. These are not mutually exclusive goals, they one support of, each other. Yeah, one of the things I say is an intentional culture can double your bottom line. Ours was four times the industry average. There's two big components to that. One is, in all industries, annual turnover is 35 to 40%. New hires, 60% of them don't last six months. At Mustang, our turnover in Houston, turnover was 45% in the oil patch. Our turnover was two to 5%. So big savings right to the bottom line when you're not having to hire and train and go through all of that rigmarole all the time. If you hire and those people stay 15 or 20 years, right to the bottom line, big bucks. The other thing is by them not moving is our people stayed together long-term. All those handoffs got very streamlined. So we say we built a company on squeezing handoffs. Well, that was because the people worked together so much, the communication was there. Our efficiency was much better. And that efficiency goes right to the bottom line. All of that is culture. So yeah, culture and bottom line are totally connected. And I think it's the big thing in 2020 before COVID hit, most C-suites were talking culture. 
not knowing how to do an intentional culture, but they knew that this is where they needed to put effort in 2020. COVID and the downturn has forced them to communicate a lot closer, but I think they're still trying to figure out how to do it. What you and I are talking about are some of the key pieces that go into building that culture that'll deliver the bottom line. And like when we would do a paper airplane flying contest, costs like nothing, but suck those people in. They're building a paper airplane with their kids on the kitchen table. They were telling their kids and their spouse how their plane flew. Uh, you can do the same thing virtually right now, have a paper airplane flying contest. Costs like nothing, but you're building memories. You're putting smiles on people's faces and you're building a team. So it's cheap, doesn't cost much, but that bottom line impact can be huge. Yeah, and it just takes a little intentionality, a little bit yeah. of reframing and a people focus. Well, Bill, it has been a real pleasure. This time just flew by um, and I really enjoyed the conversation. Perhaps I can have you back on at some point so we can continue it. Uh, but before we close today, I wanted to make sure I gave you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, uh, find out more about what you're doing and perhaps reach out if they need uh, any help. Well, like you said, I wrote the book, Culture Code Champions, Seven Steps to Scale and Succeed in Your Business. Just became a bestseller last week. So that's sort of fun. I have a website, culturecodechampions.com. And on there, there's an assessment that people can take in their department or in their company. And that assessment will show them where they're strong and where they're weak on these culture building steps. And so then they can say, oh, okay, how do I go do some of these things? And in the book, I show exactly what we did for these different steps. And people can say, oh, I see what Mustang did and what the result was. In our company, we could do this and get that same result. So all I want to do is turn people's brains on to how to do these simple common sense things to bring people tighter together and really change lives. But that's the best way to get a hold of what the information is, is culturecodechampions.com. Excellent, excellent. Thank you, Bill. It truly has been a pleasure. What an honor to get to know you and to have this conversation. I hope listeners will reach out, get connected with Bill, find out more about what he can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. I hope everyone can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.